Hello and welcome to the Flying Reporter Pilot Briefing Podcast, your essential guide to the news, issues and regulation changes affecting general aviation flying. In today's briefing, an undercarriage collapse during the landing roll. You won't believe what caused it. Are you being distracted by your electronic conspicuity device? A major study suggests there's a risk that you are. And inflation-busting price increases from the UK aviation regulator, the CAA. Their justification might make your blood pressure go up. The Flying Reporter Pilot Briefing Podcast is sponsored by AOPA UK, the leading membership association for pilots, aircraft owners and operators. And the research for these briefings is supported by Astral Aviation Consulting, who work with the CAA to produce safety content for general aviation pilots. So first up, a collapsed undercarriage on landing and a lesson to all of us about adequately briefing passengers and the dangers posed by loose articles in the cockpit. An air accident investigation report just published concerns a pilot and their passenger returning to Stapleford from a cross-channel flight in a PA-28 Piper Arrow in August this year. The Arrow is fitted with a retractable undercarriage. The 23-year-old pilot who had a commercial pilot's licence had more than 1,400 hours experience, but only 50 hours on the Arrow. After landing, the aeroplane was slowing to about 30 knots when the aircraft tilted to the right. At first, the pilot thought they had a flat tyre, but then the wingtip dropped and contacted the runway. The aircraft slewed to the right and off the paved surface. There were no injuries. Now, during approach, the pilot had correctly configured for landing and had confirmed that the gear was down and locked. However, during touchdown, his passenger, also a qualified pilot, dropped their tablet device into the footwell. Concerned that it might interfere with the rudder pedals, they then hastily leant down, retrieved the device, but in doing so, they knocked the landing gear selection towards the gear up position. Despite immediately repositioning the selector down again, the gear had already unlocked and thus caused the undercarriage to collapse. Though not unusual, in this instance, the passenger, remember, a qualified pilot, had actually been in the left seat, commonly occupied by the pilot in command, which is nearest to the gear selector. As a pilot myself of a Piper Arrow, clearly this all had a lot of relevance to my own flying, but I think there are takeaways for every pilot, actually. Firstly, loose articles. Do you fly with a tablet or other items unsecured on your lap or beside you that could fall and then become a flight hazard? Or what about your passengers? Do you let them use cameras or tablets that aren't secure? I know I have, and this incident has given me serious pause for thought. No one was hurt in this case, of course, but an iPad falling and blocking rudder pedals is currently a working theory in an NTSB investigation into a fatal helicopter crash in the USA last year. Pilots of a Chinook helicopter were helping to fight a fire in the Salmon River area of Idaho in July 2022, when the aircraft was seen to spin to the left, descend rapidly and then crash into the river below. During the recovery of the aircraft, the flight crew's iPad was found with distinct gouge marks in its case 
uh, and the case was bent as well. So the investigation team has been looking into the theory that the tablet could have contributed to the crash. They set up a ground-based reconstruction with an identical aircraft and were able to show that an iPad could jam its rudder pedals and that a pilot wearing a helmet in this aircraft type couldn't uh, bend forward enough to retrieve it. While the investigation hasn't concluded yet, I think it's safe to assume that the NTSB is giving the dropped iPad theory significant credence. In the case of the gear collapse at Stapleford, the pilot of the Piper Arrow told the air accident investigation team that in future, for general pleasure flights, his passengers will occupy the right seat. Passengers will be briefed to stow and secure loose or unnecessary items prior to critical phases of flight. I know I do that with Bertie, tell him to put his games away and so on. And passengers will be asked to immediately notify him if they interact with any of the controls at any time. Good advice, I think, and definitely worth adding these items to your own passenger brief. Coming up in a moment, electronic conspicuity. How much traffic is your device picking up? Possibly less than you think if a recent study is to be believed. And we might be in a cost of living crisis, but the CAA wants to put up its charges for general aviation by an inflation busting 8.3%. They have a justification which I think might just raise your blood pressure. Before that, I just want to mention the work of AOPA UK, who support general aviation pilots and aircraft owners. They sponsor this pilot briefing and they keep across all the work of the regulator and government and respond to the consultations. They've already responded to the regulator's proposed changes to the personal medical declaration system, for example, the new cost-sharing proposals, and I'm sure they'll be responding to the CAA's plans to increase their fees as well. Flying Reporter followers can get 25% off a new one- or two-year AOPA UK membership. It's money well spent, actually. Members get up to 30 minutes free legal advice for aviation related matters, and there's a member's magazine too. On top of that, uh, of course, is all the work that AOPA does behind the scenes to support our interests as pilots and aircraft owners. Check out my website for the discount link by searching for The Flying Reporter. The results of a study are out into the human factors effects of electronic conspicuity devices in general aviation. Such devices have become common in light aircraft, partly due to a push from the UK regulator and an accompanying accompanying subsidy. <laughs> but little is known about the impact the devices have on pilots, their decision making and their effectiveness at helping to avoid mid-air collisions. The investigation by GASCO, the General Aviation Safety Council, and Jarvis Bagshaw, which is a company specialising in human factors, involved a survey of more than 2,000 pilots and flight trials using eye-tracking technology. They came to some really interesting conclusions, actually. The full report is worth reading. A link to that is in the video description or show notes, but I'll summarise the main points here briefly, since you probably don't have the time to read all 147 pages of it. The survey asked the pilots what, if any, electronic conspicuity they use and then used that data to determine the likelihood of pilots detecting each other in flight. The reason why this is important is that, as many of you probably know, not all the current electronic conspicuity devices can talk to each other. There's not one solution to everything. 165 pilots in this study said they used no 
electronic conspicuity. Of the remainder, 184 used only a standard non-ADSB transponder like a mode C transponder or mode S, with the rest in the study using a range of electronic conspicuity devices with or without a standard transponder. Of those devices, 30% were Sky Echo 2. 26% of pilots had a transponder with ADSB out, and 21% had a pilot aware device. The rest used a range of other options, including FLAM and SafeSky. Some pilots were using several options altogether. For example, I use a Mode S transponder. I have a pilot aware and a Sky Echo 2. You might think that's overkill, but personally, I feel that gives me pretty good detect and avoid capability, even though not all of those systems individually can see each other. The study has a number of limitations and there are some caveats. You can read about those in the report, but based on the answers from the survey respondents, it concludes that each aircraft in this sample of pilots has on average a 48% chance of detecting other aircraft in the sample electronically and an average 50% chance of themselves being detected. Now, I find that quite a revelation actually. And in actual fact, the study suggests that in practice, the detection rates in the wider GA community are probably significantly lower than that. And this is partly because the study involved a self-selecting sample of pilots who came forward, who all knew that the survey was about electronic conspicuity. So you'd expect they might have some interest in the subject anyway. Now, having worked out from within this group what their actual chances of detection and being detected were, they then wanted to know whether the pilots knew the limitations of their electronic conspicuity devices. And it turns out that the pilots in the sample group really overestimated the probability of detection and being detected by between 10 and 20%. So they thought they were better protected, I suppose you could say, from the electronic conspicuity than they were in actual fact. More worryingly still, the study concluded that not only do pilots overestimate their detection rates, many appear to use their devices in a way that assumes complete coverage. Another big area that the study looked into was pilot distraction and whether electronic conspicuity was changing how we manage tasks in the cockpit. Could they have a negative impact? The study team recruited a small number of pilots with electronic conspicuity devices to conduct flights while wearing eye tracking technology, effectively a pair of glasses connected to some kind of gizmo that can look at where your eyes are looking. Now, I'll pick out just one aspect of that very small part of this study. I think they only had about four pilots take part in this. And the, the, the one aspect that I want to look at here is lookout and what effect these electronic conspicuity devices have, if anything, on pilot lookout. Now, here's a visualization, if you're watching the video version of this, of the visual scan from one of the pilots wearing the eye tracking glasses when there is no traffic being alerted by their electronic conspicuity devices. So this is a normal phase of flight. There's nothing going on. And this is where their eyes are pointing. And for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, what viewers watching this on YouTube will see is that it looks like a normal scan in, in the, the whole visual area uh, outside the cockpit is being scanned to some extent or another. Now, 
here is what their visual scan looked like when traffic was detected by their device. And apologies for those of you listening to this and not watching this on YouTube. But what you can see uh, here is that the pilot is focusing uh, on their tablet, uh, which is uh, it's actually a helicopter that, that this uh, particular uh, trial was conducted in. You can see them looking at the tablet and also focusing at the area outside of the window where the electronic conspicuity device has alerted there is traffic. Now, you might think, well, that's normal. You'd expect that, wouldn't you? You'd expect the pilot to go looking where the, where the device has told him the traffic is. And that's fine, but, and to be expected, but here is the really curious thing. The traffic that was detected by the electronic conspicuity device in this instance was 10 miles away, well beyond visual range. Uh, the report suggests that the visual range uh, of the eye to detect other traffic is about two miles, possibly three miles if conditions are uh, perfect. Uh, so it's 10 miles away, but yet the pilot in this trial spent two and a half minutes focusing their scan in the area where the traffic was reported with little attention then being paid to any other areas of the lookout. Now, I find that, you know, that, that, that to me is quite worrying. Uh, and here's another thing too. Later, the pilot thought that they had spotted the target aircraft, you know, the one that the electronic conspicuity had alerted them to. But in fact, what they'd actually spotted was likely another aircraft that wasn't being detected by their device because that aircraft didn't have any kind of ADS-B or any other electronic conspicuity apart from a normal transponder. So in short, even though the pilot had just a 50-50 chance of their electronic conspicuity detecting traffic around them, they had spent two and a half minutes focusing their lookout on an aircraft that was 10 miles away and showing on the electronic conspicuity at the expense of looking out for the other 50% of traffic that wouldn't have shown on their display. A fascinating finding, I think, and a really detailed study, really worth a read. And I think that final point is really worth remembering. If you take on board that potentially, according to this study, you've got a 50-50 chance of your electronic conspicuity device picking up, and this, you know, picking up, that's on average, by the way, picking up other traffic in the area, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be focusing your whole attention on what that is telling you, because it could well not be picking up traffic that isn't going to show uh, on your device. And I do, I've, I've had it happen in flight, and I suppose that's because I fly a lot, and I've, I've, found, I've, I've had that happen to me, where I've been looking at something, and then I've spotted something closer and more ri risky, nearer to me. I've had that happen to me. And so now I do very, very deliberately, if I spot traffic or I'm alerted to traffic, um, even by ATC, actually, if they call up and, and call out traffic, I make sure that I also look in the areas where the traffic hasn't been detected. So I'm not focusing on that one thing. Uh, I think it's, yeah, really worth reading, not least because the authors of the report also came up with some interesting uh, recommendations and safety advice for pilots on how to deal with some of the issues raised. And, and, and the ones that I've pointed out here are not the only issues that they went into. Really, really detailed piece of work. The report has been published by the CAA. Uh, you can find it by searching for CAP 2583. That's CAP 2583. Before our next subject, a quick mention of a free safety workshop that you might be interested in. Astral Aviation Consulting, the people that help me with the research for these briefings, is running a special online session on engine failures after takeoff. 
There'll be a panel discussion and workshop on Wednesday, 13th of December 2023 at 19.30 Greenwich Mean Time. It's free to join. I'm sure there'll be some great tips from the experts on the session. Uh, go to the Astral Aviation Consulting website to sign up for that. Okay, finally for today's uh, briefing, a quick mention about CAA charges, and you might want to be sitting down for this. It's that time of year again when the UK regulator sets out what it's proposing to charge us from April next year for all of its services, including the cost of licenses and ratings. The primary proposals include an inflation-linked price increase across all its schemes of 5.3%. Now, I know the inflation has been high recently, uh, but the inflation figure that the CAA is basing its increase on is the Consumer Prices Index, including owner-occupiers' housing costs. That's fine. That's the CPIH. And they're using the September figure for that, minus 1%. And the CAA says this is what they've always done. This is the reference point and calculation it's used in previous years. However, it's possibly worth mentioning here that inflation has started to fall again, and the latest CPIH figure published by the Office for National Statistics is 4.7%, down just over one and a half percentage points on what it was in September when the CAA took its figure. Not only that, but the CAA actually wants to charge general aviation more than that, quite a lot more than that, actually. They want to add a new activity price increase of 3% on top of that inflation increase across its safety scheme charges. That means for licensing and ratings, aircraft registrations, general aviation and airworthiness, prices will increase by an inflation busting 8.3% in total. So we've got inflation currently running at about, what did I say, 4.7%. They want to charge 8.3% on top of uh, last year's prices. So just some examples here. The initial issue of a PPL, private pilot's license will rise from £220 to £238. Ratings on your PPL, I presume that's, you know, restricted instrument ratings and night ratings and so on, will go up from £142 to £154. And the cost of an initial instrument rating test, gosh, I didn't know how much this cost, goes up from £924 to £1,000. So what's the CAA's justification for these above inflation increases? Basically, it's so that drones can share the airspace with crewed flight in future. Yep, you heard it right. In their words, quote, to provide a contribution to the CAA's role in enabling innovation in the sector, particularly future flight. They say it will deliver benefits to existing users through enabling the safe integration of new users, as well as to those new users who will in time be part of the aviation system and at that point make a financial contribution to regulatory costs. So, in short, the CAA wants to increase charges to a sector already on its knees with spiralling costs in order to pave the way for the big companies like Amazon to operate drone deliveries and EVTOL, air taxes and so on. All those companies that have probably got money to burn. 
I'll keep my views. Well, I'm, I just I was about to say I'll keep my views to myself on this, but I can tell I'm sure you can tell that the tone of my voice suggests a little bit of frustration with that. I do try to be impartial here and I have been trying very hard, but it is quite difficult when I read that. If you have strong thoughts on these proposed changes, yes, by all means, share them in the comments of the video or drop me a note. Um, I think it would perhaps be more constructive and more beneficial to the greater good if you responded to the CAA's consultation. That, as I say, will probably uh, do more good than uh, commenting and ranting <laughs> on my emails because uh, it's not my fault. The consultation ends in mid-January. Well, sorry to end on what I suspect will have been unwelcome news there, but, uh, you know, I guess none of us really want to have to pay more for the services we receive. Somebody's got to pay for it, I suppose. Thank you so much for listening and uh, watching nonetheless. I hope you found that interesting. I thought there's some really good subjects there. The Flying Reporter Pilot Briefing has been sponsored by AOPA UK. Thank you, AOPA. And it's been made in association with Astral Aviation Consulting. Do subscribe to the YouTube channel or follow the podcast channel so as not to miss the next update. That will be in the new year. Gosh, that came quickly, didn't it? Season's greetings to you all. And until we meet again, bye for now. And fly safely, my friends. Mm -hmm.